Welcome to Ground Under Repair. Thanks for joining me again. My guest this week co-authored Think Like a Caddy, Play Like a Pro. They're here to talk about caddies, the mentality of caddying, and keeping that tradition alive. Jim Bartlett is a longtime golf columnist turned author, collaborator, and caddy. His co-author for Think Like a Caddy, Dennis Cohn, is the co-founder of the Professional Caddies Association and a 2011 inductee into the Caddy Hall of Fame. Like many of you, I've never had a caddy myself, and I've never been a caddy for anybody either, but certainly they're a huge part of the game, and here to talk about a side many of us never get to see about golf, it's Dennis Cohn and Jim Bartlett. In fact, uh, just to let you know, in 1988, I think it was, uh, or I was uh, read the story about Francis we met in Boston. And uh, that's actually got my brain thinking about doing something with the caddies. And that really was ignited the fire in me uh, to go forward. It took many years and working with Donnie Hammond uh, as his friend and his caddy a few times. And then Squeaky getting sick and finding out the caddies really didn't have anything out there. And uh, and uh, that's kind of how I started as their agent uh, back in the uh, you know late 80s. The guys on the tour for three years, and then Marriott came on board uh, as our sponsor. And you know, we uh, we were told at the time, you know, Marriott said, you know, we got to do this for all caddies. We can't just do this for 100 and something caddies on the PGA Tour. And some of the guys on the tour said, Dennis, so uh, we we uh, don't want anybody to know about our job. We don't want uh, you to help the round bellies. That's what they call the senior caddies. We're round bellies. <laughs> so he said. You know, we, we want to, you know, do this a little differently. So Marriott, basically, we, we went with Marriott and their decision to sponsor us and, and launch the PCA back in 1997. So that's how we got started in this. And, uh, and uh, it was many years later uh, that we, you know, wanted to do a song to promote. Because, you know, you get tired of asking for money all the time for sponsors and things like that. And, and finally, we... I came up with the idea of doing a song, and it took about a year over a year. And uh, I worked with Amy Grant's manager, and and uh, before Bruce Edwards died, and and then uh, just giving you a little background of everything. And then the um, opportunity came about. I got a call from said, "You know, you got a winner." I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "David Vincent Williams wrote the number one hit uh, this year. I'm moving on by Rascal Frass, Grammy winning." Has done a song for you. He wants to donate it to you. It's called Five Feet Away," and we're planning on launching that song. To all charities next year and we can talk about that an hour later but and that's kind of how it all kind of kind of come together and of course we got the song done and got it to bruce before he passed away two weeks and then it was actually played as his funeral uh and then michael bolton found out about it later on through bmi and he contacted us and michael bolton re, re uh, sang the song five feet away and uh so it's been a everything's been kind of a stepping stone and then if an opportunity to do the same thing. And I said, well, you know, we need to write a book. And then being a lifetime member of the Golf Writers Association now, I, I put the call out there. And uh, and Jim Bartlett, That's right, Phil. Jim, <laughs> was the first one to contact me, you know, within 30 minutes. And he said, I get it. I, 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 I see what you're doing and I like it. And, and about two dozen other people contacted us also from the Golf Writers Association wanting to help. Uh, do it, you know, and help it get on the team. And uh, it was interesting because what I did was the ones that called up and responded like Jim did, but, you know, he, he uh, understood the, how the caddies are very important to the game and the comeback of caddies, which we'll talk about in a minute, which I'm involved with uh, 20-something companies now. And uh, that Jim had, had the vision, he understood it, and his great credentials uh, with Golf Week and Forbes and a bunch of things that he'll be able to tell you about in a minute, his company, great company. And uh, so anyway, so I uh, I could have checked by Jim's because he was more concerned about you know, what we were doing and how to grow the game and things like that. Some of the other people that called, the first thing they said was, how much money I'm going to make or how much you're going to pay me? And I put an X by their name because you know, if you know writers, we don't make a lot of money, <laughs> you know. But but again, too, it's not about the yeah, money. I'm familiar. But, yeah, so you know, well, you know that, yeah. But anybody... <laughs> 
But it, but the good thing is, you know, when you get older and you have grandkids, they can sit on your lap and you can say, hey, listen, this is what your pop pop wrote right here, and you you know, we'll <laughs> sign a book for you, and that that's worth it all right there. And to have those little kids uh, look up to you and say, you know, I like your book, and that's what it's all about. But that's kind of how we got to where we are. Uh, and now there's a new generation of things happening. It's called the Comeback at Caddies, and we'll be announcing something at the PGA show next year, which we'll, I'll touch on that in a little bit. So I just want to give you a quick little overview and how Jim and I met and how the PCA got started, and, uh, and we'll welcome your questions. The book is Think Like a Caddy, Play Like a Pro, using stories from professional caddies and common examples from the golf course. The book discusses a very strategic approach to golf that many of those who have never had a caddy have never considered. Reading it, it's as though you're letting us in on a secret. So, Jim, I imagine it must have been a bit of information overload putting all these stories together. Well, that, that's for sure. There's there's a lot of great stories out there uh, from from the guys that have caddied on the PGA Tour over the years that Dennis has worked with and and knows and put me in touch with. Um, but I've always been kind of fascinated by the whole caddy thing anyway I you know I'm 65 years old I grew up in the era where caddies were kind of phased out in favor of golf carts across most of the US and like a lot of golfers of my generation we never had the experience of what it was like to play the game of golf with a caddy um and even if a caddy is just a bag carrier you know a a a kid uh, a teenager who's there just carrying the clubs and maybe can give you a yardage and wipes them clean after every shot and says nice shot and helps you find it when the ball rolls into the poison ivy. Even even that experience is, is unusual for a lot of golfers today who just are used to getting in a cart and driving themselves and, and using their rangefinder to get the yardage and never really think about the caddy as kind of a, an assistant player or a backup or a member of the team. Because really the best caddies, and, and certainly as you see on the PGA Tour, uh, the players and the caddies are really performing as a team together. And most of us, when we go out and play, we're just, you know, we're playing with our buddies or playing in uh, our tournaments, you know, nightly afternoon tournaments or whatever. You know, it's us against everybody else. And you get in trouble or you come to a situation you don't know what to do and you sort of have to think about it all yourself where when you have a caddy, you have someone you can talk about it with and say, what should I do here? What do you recommend? What do you think? And in that conversation, in that communication, you can usually come up with a better idea on how to proceed from that point on. And and so that's, that's kind of what got me interested in, in the whole concept of caddies early on. And then when I was uh, working at Golf Week and writing a column in Forbes magazine, which I did for many years on the general subject of uh, the lifestyle of golf, I had an opportunity uh, a couple of times to actually caddy for uh, PGA Tour pros, not actually except once in a, in a tournament situation, but in an outing or when they were unveiling a new course for their members and stuff like that. So I got this, uh, it, I called it my George Plimpton uh, experience because, you know, George Plimpton, the great writer, did several of these first-person type books, uh, including one, I think, when he tried to uh, qualify for the PGA Tour playing a tournament once. But he tried to be an NFL quarterback, and he tried to play Major League Baseball, and he wrote about these first-person experiences, what it was really like, you know, inside the lines. And my caddy experiences were like that. My first experience was with Jack Nicholas when he was unveiling uh, his new course down at Colleton River. And this was in the mid-90s, I think. And a buddy of mine who was doing PR for the course called me one day and said, would you like to come to the grand opening of Jack's new course? And I said, no, not really. I've seen new courses and I know Jack and big deal. And he said, but I could get you the bag if you want a caddy for him. And I said, I'm in. I'll be there. <laughs> I got so you. <laughs> I went down there and they they fitted me out with the white coveralls and the little green cap and and uh, they nice. gave me his bag and the first thing I did was check the bottom to make sure he didn't put some bricks in it because I've heard that the pearls like to do that to uh, newbie gaddies. <laughs> but but we played you know I I I caddy farm for 18 holes and it was a hot late summer day and I remember that the owners of the club said uh, we'll get a cart ready for the back nine because you probably will poop out after nine and when I heard that. I said, no, baby, I'm, I, if you want me to go 36 today, I'm going 36. Ah, I love it. Um, 
So I, I caddied for Jack there, and then about six weeks later, I caddied for him again at uh, Reynolds Plantation in Georgia. And I wrote about uh, that experience. Uh, it was in a piece at Forbes called Caddying for the Big Guy. And it really was uh, an interesting experience on many, many levels. I, I learned a lot about Jack, which uh, the number one thing you should know about Jack Nicholas is that he does not like to lose. Even when he's just playing in an exhibition, uh, he was playing uh, in Hilton Head. He was playing against Jim Faree. And when he played at Reynolds Plantation to open the course he had designed there, he played just against the local uh, club professional they had hired to uh, to be the pro at that course. And in both cases, and this Jack was by this time in his late 50s or maybe early 60s, and you know his back or his knee was giving him trouble, and he was going through the stretching exercises all the time, and um, you know, definitely not Jack Nicholas at his prime. But several times in each round, there was a, a moment where Jack had to make a shot or a putt to uh, to score against his opponent. And in in those instances, I mean, you could almost hear the bird stop singing and the sun stopped uh, in his path across the heavens because Jack Nicholas was about to make a golf shot. And by God. And those three or four or five times during each round when he had to make a golf shot, he made that golf shot. And it was a, it was an amazing thing to see. Jack Nicklaus does not like to lose. And yeah. I, I went yeah. on after that successful piece, and I did the same thing with Arnold Palmer. I caddied for him once, and then I played 18 holes with him, which was great. And the one takeaway I, I came from uh, my Arnold Palmer experience was that Arnold Palmer would rather play golf than do almost anything else in life. He loved the game of golf. I mean, he was out there. It didn't matter to him whether he was playing well or not playing well, who he was playing with. He loved the game of golf, period, end of story. And I went on and did similar things. I've, I've caddied for uh, Ernie Els. I've caddied for Ben Crenshaw. The only tournament experience I had was an interesting one with uh, Corey Pavin at the uh, uh, King Hassan tournament in Morocco. And uh, that was that was pretty interesting because at the time – I think that year Corey was the main headline uh, player coming over from the U.S. and the King of uh, of Morocco would pay for several pros to come over and play in his tournament, trying to get it uh, more interesting. And I don't know if he still does today, but again, this was 15, 20 years ago. And I think Corey probably made a good two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand dollars just for showing up. But the thing about the Morocco tournament was the pros couldn't bring their own caddies, even though they were playing for money. They had to use local Moroccan guys as their caddies. And so when we were setting this up, the tournament director called me and said, yeah, I'll set it up. Don't worry about it. I'll talk to the uh, caddy master and we'll make it all sense. But when I got there the first day to caddy for him on the first round, uh, Muhammad the caddy had Corey's bag in both hands and his knuckles were white. He was not letting go of that bag. And so negotiations ensued and Corey reached in his pocket and peeled off a few hundred dollar bills and gave to him and the guy bowed and said thank you very much and gave me the bag and went running off to uh, spend his ill-gotten gains without having to work for it so that was kind of funny but we you know Corey was a great guy uh easy to work with he birdied I think three of the first four holes and then never made a birdie the next three rounds so after oh yeah he could he could (laughs) cut too yeah, he, he was too. he's a great player, and and he tried. You know, the other group, amazing takeaway from that experience was that golf pros see shots that we mere mortals never see. Okay, you know, he was not playing good, obviously. After you know, he birdied three of the first four, and then never sniffed a birdie after that. So he was kind of uh, erratic, and sometimes would find himself in the woods. And I would say, okay, well, we're going to chip out here. And he would say, no, I think I see a little hole right there. I can hit it through there. And by God, he did it. <laughs> he would yeah. go through the trees and under the branches and over this and places that you and I would never imagine doing it. Golf pros can do that. That's why they have their names on the bag. And he, he did what he guy. just touched on just then was really the basis of the book. When you're in, when you're an amateur, and this is what, what came up with the Think Like a K, you'll play like a pro is, it's about your inner caddy. When you're sitting there and you see that little miracle hole, yeah, pros can go through that hole most of the time. But me or Jim or anybody else, we go, oh, yeah, I'm going to go through the hole like the pro. But your little voice says, you know, you should chip out and play safe. And that's your yeah. inner caddy talking to you. So that's kind of like the the voice that we really tried to build around this book. I think like, like it was that inner caddy. And, that, and that's the thing about Nicholas. And I can tell you, 
this based on the caddies that, that are in the Hall of Fame of his with us. And they said, you know, Jack did not change equipment all the time. He didn't even change bags. If he's winning, why does he need changing anything for? Everything's working, you know? And where yeah. I think that, that that's the, the difference of the players now. I mean, Ty, if Tiger would have never tweaked, tweaked what he had originally and kept messing with that swing and everything he had going for him and a lot of things, and I'm not telling how many majors he'd have won, but once he starts tweaking it and everybody's trying to fix it, you know, I mean, you got Jim Ferris not fixing his swing. Mr. Palmer didn't fix it. And they don't, may not look pretty, but they work pretty good. But anyway, <laughs> so you got some great stories there, Jim, and I appreciate you sharing. I haven't heard all those, but that's – so we were very blessed to have Jim head up the team of the writers or think like a cat, play like a pro. And also the second book that came out, Mastering Golf's Greatest Shot with Gary Player doing the forward. And, of course, Mr. Palmer and Ben Crenshaw did the forward and the prefix for the first book, so we felt very blessed have one of the very last books that Mr. Palmer uh, was able to put his blessing on. And we'll always, always be grateful to Doc, to Doc Giffen and uh, uh, Mr. Palmer and all the team that, that helped us with that, along with Mr. Crenshaw's team. So, yeah, we'll look, look forward to getting you a, a book up there to you, Tim. And also, we'll Thank you offer one to the uh, one of your listeners here in a little bit. Right in the introduction, you say this is a book about how to win on the golf course. One of the great truisms about golf is that everyone's opponent is the course itself. Unfortunately, I think a lot of the amateurs like myself have taken that the wrong way. And we come into a round of golf almost not competing at all. We're coming unprepared. We're Then we get upset when our good walk's spoiled and suddenly you don't shoot the best round of your life with no preparation whatsoever. I think more than anything else, think like a caddy, play like a pro can help a golfer fix that mindset. No question about it. And if you know, yeah. the, the new winner of the TPC, young, wonderful golfer, do you know if, what, if you notice what he said? You know, he won last year, and he said with the two years exemption, the pressure was off, and I was able to go out and just swing the club and have some fun. And I think that's what we all need to do. I mean, I don't care if you're playing for a $3 Nassau. It shouldn't matter, you know. You should just be able to go out there, get in good golf position, and just trust the swing and have some fun. And I think that's that's a really good advice. Uh, and that comes through with Think Like a Caddy, Play Like a Pro, because it's all about, you know, trusting your inner caddy. And, 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 and Jim did a great job of putting all the notes together, with, along with uh, the other writers we had. And our second team, Jack Ross, helped us also, and uh, all the guys. Uh, but it was a very good collaboration i'm still working on the third one trying to talk them into the third one so hopefully we got to go to scotland for a couple of weeks on this one but we'll keep you informed on that one also <laughs> the other the other um point to make about uh, the way we approach the game of golf uh and this was explained to me years ago by uh, one of the first mental gurus that i ever interviewed for a, for a story and he pointed out to me that other athletic sports are, are very reactive. Um, in baseball, someone pitches a ball and you have to react to that pitch ball to decide how to swing. Uh, and the same thing in, in basketball and hockey and tennis, you know, your opponent in tennis hits a ball and you have to react to that ball. In golf, the ball is just sitting there on the ground doing nothing. But this golf guru told me that actually you are reacting uh, when you're playing golf. You're reacting to the conditions you're reacting to the situation, um, uh, and you're reacting uh, in lots of, uh, you know, kind of mental ways to what's going on around you. And to be successful at golf, therefore, you have to be aware of that and and bring those uh, situations to the forefront while you're planning your shot. And then when you're, you're actually making the shot, you have to eliminate everything from your head. Bobby Jones used to say if, if he went into a tournament with more than uh, two swing thoughts in his head, he knew he was not going to do well. If he only had one swing thought in his head, he had an even chance. Uh, and I think the the actual ultimate is, is to play golf with nothing in your head. <laughs> That's hard to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. You know, but I think, you know, I, I really think that the opportunity with, with golf happening, the, there is a, a movement. And we've been pushing this for 20 years of the comeback of caddies. And I think the PGA and the golf world, based on what's happened in the last year and a half, over 20 golf caddy companies have come together. And we're working on some pretty exciting things right now. 
uh, that's going to be announced. And because, you know, basically we're creating new opportunities for the youth to train and work as caddy as tradition as both supports the game and also prepares the game for the future. Because if you want, if you want kids to play golf, I've always said the first thing you have to do is get them to the golf course. The second thing, if you pay them, they may show up. And then we're not saying get rid of the golf car because I mean, I think that's very vital. But I'm saying, you know, the, the four caddies, there's a lot of ways to caddies. Four caddy, carry caddies, stationary caddies. So the main thing is get the kids out there. Because as caddies, young people can be exposed to the game of golf and the game of license, lessons, and integrity that teaches you know, experimental learning opportunities, you know, having daily interaction, you know, around the game provide the base for them for the future, you know, which is what we need for, for golf, you know, for sure. And the scholarship opportunities. I mean, we work with the Western Golf Association, Chicago, great organization. We merged the Caddy Hall of Fame with them in uh, 2011. Uh, Jack Nicholas went in a few years ago and, and he said this publicly the first time you can Google it in. If it weren't for caddying for my dad, i never taken up the game. I didn't even know Jack Caddy, but evidently, you know, you go out there a few times and you can you remember those. I'm sure you've all met, and some of the radio listeners have met people that talk about that used to be caddies growing up and how, what life experiences, and they remember everything about that. Even pitching pennies against the wall or having some fun in the Caddyshack area, learning about life in the Caddyshack area. But that's just the life experiences, you know, that, that uh, helps a individual grow you know because you know we believe it's one of the most unique summer jobs one of the unique first jobs someone can get yeah you can cut lawns or you can go flip burgers somewhere but this one you not only are you putting the physical work in you're also having to think you're having to work with the person there and of course there's a whole bunch of etiquette instilled in you because for all intents and purposes, you're out there with your boss the entire time. So there's a lot of, here's how to act in front of people who are going to be calling the shots moving forward in there as well. A lot of life lessons. But it's great to see that caddies are paying that back because I'm sure a lot of people that turn into professional caddies started as a caddy in high school or college, just making ends meet on the summer. And that's, that's a great thing to pay back because those jobs come and go sometimes. Yep. Yeah. No, and, you know, and the great thing, too, if you can go back and listen, Marty, Marty Povick's dad, uh, Shirley Povick, he's in the uh, baseball hall of fame. He's one of the very few writers, if I'm not mistaken, in the baseball hall of fame. And he started at, I think 13 years old. Uh, caddy for the head of the Washington Post and uh, went on to be his full-time caddy and went on to work for the paper and ended up being a, in a, in a credible writer and a credible man. And the success story is Jack Welch, uh, you know, GE CEO started out. And he's actually in Jack. I mean, Jim can tell you more about this because it's up in his part of the woods. But I think one of the last, or if not the last, caddy camp exists out on in the Cape, right, Jim? That's right, yeah. Um... It's Farm Neck that has it. I can't remember the course now that uh, that runs it. But yeah, it's it's a summer, basically a summer ca- caddy camp, and kids go and they caddy all summer and and uh, learn a lot. It's it's great experience. And 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 Jack Welch is on the board, and he's a very big supporter of that also. And we're working on doing one up in uh, in New York and Long Island. So anybody listening wants to join up with us, we have a few spots left on the advisory board. So call call in and, and get a hold of us. But yeah, so we're really excited about working with the golf industry now and and making these announcements uh, about the comeback at caddies because, you know, uh, we, we believe that, you know, uh, that to emphasize the mentor relationship between the golfer and the caddy is so important. And you look to support, you know, access to scholarships and internships. You know, it's just incredible that we all come together, uh, that we can really – take what worked for 500 years and we kind of got away from it for a while and bring it back uh, to the forefront of growing the game. And it's going to happen and it's really going to happen. And I'm excited about the last year and a half and excited for, for uh, golf 2020 and Steve Mona, who's helped put all this together and worked with this group for the last year and a half. And so we look forward to announcing all this at the PGA show in January next year. And, and we'll let you know, Tim, first, first time the press release comes out also. 
you also look and once you've once you've become a caddy by the way go and go to the caddyassociation.com they have a lot of great resources for somebody who wants to get better at that craft or start pursuing the next level of being a caddy if there's one place you go it's well it's the pca and it's the caddy association so that's a great resource for anyone out there who has been a caddy and is looking to continue doing it one more and and you know and i do appreciate the plug but more importantly all the golfers out there that want to lower their golf score if they were to read this book and and even take the look the caddy course that will help them get in touch with their inner caddy and help them make better course management decisions out there which I will guarantee will lower your score by five shots if you will follow the everything in the book, Think Like a Caddy, and we will return your money if, if it doesn't. And that's uh, <laughs> I'll do that. You return their money. I'm keeping it. <laughs> okay. I'm a writer. I, I need it. the money. <laughs> but no, so we have that much confidence in it. And, we've, and so it's not just about learning to be a caddy. Think like it's really for the golfer out there that wants to get in touch with his inner caddy and help make better course management decisions based on listening and I mean like when I caddy for Donnie Hammond we you know you only play golf really out of a round of golf of four hours say you're probably only playing golf less than 20 minutes where you're actually hitting the golf ball you know and the rest of the time you're kind of walking having fun and keeping relaxed and you know joking with your friends and looking at the scenery and things like that and and that's kind of you keep that in mind in perspective you know if you had just walk down the course and be stressed all the time I mean I do you think do you think the Canadian players talk about golf when they're walking in the fairway all the time? Just, I've been in those groups to talk about fishing and talk about a lot of stuff, you know, fun stuff. And then it's, you know, then you get serious about hitting the ball. So you gotta just keep yourself relaxed out there and keep yourself flowing and having fun. And I Palmer, Mr. Palmer, he said when golf stops becoming fun and you know, it stops becoming a game, and I'm gonna quit. And he never quit. <laughs> he never quit. Always, he kept it in perspective because it, it was always fun. It was a game. This week on the Sunshine Boys, the panel hosts Ryan Fagan from the Sporting News to talk about the early Major League Baseball season. The race solid start will be discussed as well as Joe's up and down Reds, Ira's Giants and their Murphy's Law season, Jim's Nats and their NL East lead, and more. Maybe I'll even join the fray and talk about the Wild AL East. The Sunshine Boys, available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Blog Talk Radio. Brought to you by Podcast Lab. Now, back to Ground Under Repair. I think one of the first takeaways a reader has with this book is the attention paid to confidence and your definition of confidence for a golfer. I think most of us tend to skip simple confidence and go straight from being timid on the course to suddenly getting a big head because we've had two good holes in a row and then then the wheels come off, as they often yeah, do. We think of confidence as not laying up, and and you know better. That's, that's a lot confidence is a lot different than just I can hit any shot. It's knowing exactly what shot you can hit and where it's going to go. Yeah, I, I was blessed to have the opportunity to play Augusta National with one of our sponsors. There was only like, I think, 15 of us playing the course that day. And McKay, after seeing my 21 handicap swing, he turned to me and said, Mr. Cohn, I'll get you a good score here if you listen to me. I said, okay, what do you want me to do? He says, don't try to go for any of the par fours and two. I want you to lay up because you're a good chipper and you're a good putter. He says, you lay up and then I'll show you where to put it. And now, sure enough, I got I did some, got a few pars and had a pretty good score other than my few eights. And I shot 108, which is not bad with two eights and one nine. So that was a good score for me. <laughs> so it's, anyway, yeah, it's very important to have that, uh, that inner caddy totally educated and totally trained and uh thanks for jim for bringing all that to the forefront and jim tell, tell us a little bit about if you got a minute about your company and what books you've written well i've been uh you know as, as you've probably discerned um been in the uh in the magazine and, and newspaper business for years and years but uh in my later part of the career i i started writing uh some golf or uh golf 
murder mystery type books. And I've written four of those in the series so far. And one of these days I'll get around to number five again, which is about half done and right now on the shelf collecting dust while I've been doing some other things. But uh, um, my my series of golfing murder mysteries, the first one is called Death is a Two-Stroke Penalty, which was followed by Death from the Ladies' Tea, Death at the Member Guest, and Death in a Green Jacket are the, are the four titles. Nice. And uh, the the next one is uh, going to be a British Open-based book, uh, probably Death from the Clara Jug is the working title. <laughs> um, and my the uh, the hero that uh, uh, runs through all of them is a golf writer, G. Go Figure, who, whose name is Hacker. So they're the Hacker Mysteries. Get it? Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. So, love it. so uh, Hacker follows the tours around as a professional golf writer for a, a major metro uh, daily newspaper in Boston and uh, – gets into trouble, people get murdered, and he solves the crime in the next to the last chapter. So they're kind of fun. They're, uh, they're you know, not fine literature, but they're kind of fun, and I think golfers would enjoy them. And uh, you can find them all on Amazon in either uh, print or ebook uh, versions, whatever you like to read. And uh, hopefully the next one will be out. Uh, oh, I don't know. I'm not going to put a deadline on it because I'll just break it again. <laughs> Yeah. But it's it's stewing around in the back of my head somewhere, so it'll it'll be coming out soon. Well, and taking that into fiction just shows the, a real passion for the game. It's one thing to cover it either on assignment or uh, for a magazine, but it's if it stays with you that long, then it just shows a true love for the game and it becomes a lot harder to write about something if you don't love it in those kind of regards. For sure. I agree. Yeah. So anyway, we're, we, we, we really appreciate, uh, you know, another thing that, that uh, we're venturing into and um, you know, we're been uh, you know, have the opportunity, we get approached a lot of times about a lot of different companies to endorse their products and things like that. Uh, we're working with a, a gentleman in Panama about opening up uh, Jim Weston, about opening up a uh, retirement village. Uh, I started with this with Marriott. Uh, we were trying to do that in a St. Augustine area, and never happened. But uh, we want to have a, a place where people could retire, uh, golfers and caddies. And if you were a caddy growing up, you're going to get a big discount. And so we're working with him down in the country of Panama. There's a lot. I'm at 72 this year, and I'm looking at some uh, places to go that uh, we get out. Of the country, and really, I feel like I've uh, been to the, an island and do a little living in the jungle. And uh, it's a great place to think about retiring. And he owns an incredible company called Panama Red. You can't even get it in the United States right now. It's a, a 108 proof rum, and uh, so he wants me to be the rum caddy and get uh, one of his 25 uh, year old bottles, which is 450 dollars, in the hands of the tour players when they win a tournament. So I'm working on that and looking for a, a, a rum sponsor to help us do that. So if you know anybody likes rum out there and wants to be part of the rum caddy movement, sit and get a hold of us. It's a little off off base in our conversation, but it's uh, definitely uh, will support the uh, foundation also. Hey, we have writers and podcasters here. There's Everyone's open for business. I don't think anyone's going to turn down an opportunity to put in a plug. This is what we do after all. Yeah, I, when I first started PCA, the PGA Tour, and I was 19, I was an agent for the guys, you know, for a while on the tour. I was told to stay away from liquor companies, stay away from casinos, stay away from tobacco companies, you know, and we did. And we turned down a lot of opportunities to do that. But now, you know, the PGA Tour is having tournaments at, at uh, casinos, and they're have, they've got liquor companies and, and uh, Kettle One sponsoring events and stuff. So, uh, things have changed out there. I mean, it's it's really the dollars are hard to get for sponsors, and uh, I really like uh, the new leadership. I think Mr. Fincham did an incredible job with the PGA Tour and the players, what wonderful people they are. But uh, I think the new uh, commissioner is doing a great job also of getting things aligned. And uh, with these new up and coming players, I see a bright future for golf and, and for kids getting involved because caddying is cool. And if we can get kids to realize, Caddying is cool. It's a great way to get into the game and make some dollar and get some exercise, get some sun, speed up the game, fix the superintendent, help them, you know, get the greens fixed. It's a win for everybody. 
It really is. And having more caddies would expose more of us to having caddies. I've, I've never had one myself. And in fact, it's funny when I was researching this whole thing, I talked to my dad a bit. He's an AV guy. He goes back and forth. He goes to a lot of hotels and he was in the Sawgrass Marriott twice and didn't play the course, the TPC Sawgrass, because he was nervous that he didn't want to embarrass himself in front of a caddy. So a lot of people have just never had a caddy and we don't really know what that's like. And I think that as your book points out, I think it would really help our games because we don't think about our own golf games very strategically in general. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, no question about it. I, you know, I just think that uh, the opportunities uh, to get out there in the game, I, I, I myself, I'm going to start promoting nine holes of golf and then the other nine holes you sit instead of playing, you come in the clubhouse, have a nice dinner, have a nice lunch, a few cocktails and play some cards and have some fun. The club is speed up the game, but most people can, you don't have time to play 18 holes. So this would give them an opportunity to spend time with their friends. The club would probably make more money off the uh, food and liquor sales than they would off that other uh, nine holes of they'd lose. So I, I think this could be a way to, speed up the game just like it is you know if you want to shoot a lower score play 16 holes instead of 18 so you know same concept <laughs> so you, anyway so anyway there's a lot of our stuff going on and i'm not really a big fan of uh, big holes and you know uh, size of a, a baseball and basketball in i think that you need to kind of keep the game pretty traditional the way it was and but just uh find some some ways to speed it up with shorter tee boxes where people everybody should have an opportunity no matter what your handicap is to get on the green uh for your second shot you should be able to try to hit the green in two if you're able to reach it and uh, that's the game another or question about having i'm, part, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Say, Tim, it, it's inter it's interesting uh your point that a lot of people are are kind of hesitant about uh going through the experience of having a caddy I think a lot of it is, you know, in, in our culture these days, where, where, you know, equality is is the catchword, and you feel uh, almost guilty having someone working for you, even if it's, you know, just a caddy for a day. Um, but if you get to think of them not as someone who's working for you or someone um, that you have to uh, order around or or be embarrassed playing in front of as and more as uh, an ally to help you get around the golf course in the fewest number of strokes, then you begin to see the benefit of it. And and caddies can do that in all kinds of different ways. I was playing once uh, in Ireland at a, at a course in Ireland, and I I was going through a phase in you know a, a couple of weeks, and I was just playing awful golf. I'm not you know I'll, I'm not a great golfer, but I was playing really bad golf at this time, and so. We got to the first tee, and this guy says, I've got your bag. And I said, uh, well, I apologize in advance. I mean, I'm playing terrible, and you're going to be all over the woods with me today. And he said, oh, okay, we'll watch you play. So I played the first hole, and I made a nice, easy double bogey, just scraped it around. And I got to the second tee, and I said, see, this, this is my game these days. He said, Jim, what makes you laugh? And I said, what do you mean? He said, think think of a movie or a cartoon or something that just cracks you up every time you see it and, and, and unbidden jumped into my head, some images from the three stooges, you know, yuck, 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 bonk, boom, you know, shrimp hitting Mo hitting curly, hitting all these guys. And he said, okay, that's great. Think about that as you, as you swing before you swing the next shot from the tee. So I get up and I put the tea in the ground and I'm staying there and I'm thinking of Mo and Shemp and Curly and Larry and all of them. And son of a gun, if I didn't, you know, just stripe one right down the middle. And the next shot I did the same thing <laughs> and I hit it on the green 10 feet from the pan and I sank the putt and I said, the kid is back. And so every time after that, whenever I've gone through one of those bad stretches, I remember what this caddy told me. And, and I start thinking about things that make me happy or just get my mind off how terrible I'm playing at the moment. And just that one small little itty bitty caddy tip has served me well in in the years since. And this, this is what right. caddies can do. A good caddy can do for you is is give you a tip, make a comment, do something to change the way you know the way your mind is working, and all of a sudden you're playing your game again. And 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 it works time and again. It's it's amazing. 
Yeah, so, you know, you got to, I think getting in good golf position starts the whole game. You really, if you look at the players, they they have a routine. Jack Nicholas, I've got, you can go online, look at his 15-shot routine. But basically, they'll stand behind the ball, and they visualize, visualization. They see their ball 300 yards. It used to be 250. Now it's 300 yards down there. And and, and then they, they go through the routine of setting up and getting everything, the shoulders right, the stance right, the grip right, whatever the routine is. I'm a pilot, so when I start an airplane, you go through a checklist, and you need that same checklist because, you know, like when you're, like Jim was saying, when sometimes you get off track and you get confused and you start shooting bad scores, you've got to grab yourself and start that routine again, get back into that checklist, and then and anywhere you're just constantly not thinking. You're actually just trusting your swing, and that's uh, very important for uh, amateurs to stay in that routine and that's what a caddy does he provides you the data that you need to make a, make the shot it's, right it's 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 a whole lot more than just you're 175 yards from the hole it's like okay 175 let's go for the middle of the green forget uh, going at the pin because there's a bunker to the right and there's water behind so let's just go for the fat part of the green or in front of the green you know you don't even have to, you don't have to hit it on the green there's no law in golf that says you have to hit your approach shot onto the green. If you don't have that shot, you hit it in the next nearest, safest place and play on from there. So a caddy will give you all the data you need. The wind is uh, out of the left. It's uh, one club. Um, you know, you're looking at uh, this part of the green you shoot for, or this part of the fairway from the tee, or if it's a putt, you know, okay, you know, you got to watch this. So you're uphill, you're downhill. You know, they give you the data that you need so that you can not think about that stuff and just think about executing the shot, which is all you should be thinking about when you're standing over a ball to hit a golf ball. You should just be thinking about, I want to hit this ball to that target, A to B. That's all you should be thinking about. Not, I need to get my wrist here and my arms here and my exactly. legs here and stuff like that. Exactly. Just, I want to move the ball that's lying there on the ground in front of me to where I want it to land next and stop next. That's all you should be thinking about. And caddies are invaluable at giving you the data that you need so that you can do that. Yeah, I I was reminded of something when I read about this inner caddy that I discussed a few weeks ago on this podcast with Bruce Charlton, who's a course designer. He told me that a well-designed golf course will give a good path to the hole for golfers at every level. So that is to say, there's always somewhere for you to shoot the ball, whether you can get it to the green or not. And I think something that your inner caddy would help you do to go with the theme of your book, think like a caddy, play like a pro, is to start thinking of where that path might be, where the safe place for you to shoot might be because the shot at the green was designed for a, well, it was for a shot you don't have in your bag. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, that, I'm excited that you're, you know, giving us the time to discuss this very important uh, book that the only one really like it out there is we're not giving golf instruction. We don't, we believe that the PGA professionals out there and the teaching professionals are the ones that give the instruction. I, I do think, and I do believe that caddies have this best seat in the house. We're not the players. We don't pull the trigger, but we got the best seat in the house and there. We're able to, uh, to work with the players and we have a lot of knowledge in that respect. And I think you can see more of it on the LPGA because the players really engage their caddies in, in, in making major decisions a lot more. It seems like more, than the regular player because you got to understand these guys are so good out there nowadays you know but but you look at bones you look at phil their team they talk they you know and you know and you hear that you know the last thing you want to do is uh say something like yeah i think you can make this shot bro you know what i mean you know you gotta really come across with a with a, a tone of voice it's total confidence because the player needs to know he's got that shot and he knows it but it's just nice knowing that, that you believe that he can make it. And uh, so it's great being a caddy. It's great, great being a caddy. It's great, you know, being on this show, listening to Jim's conversations and Tim's feedback. And, and uh, I really appreciate the opportunity from the Professional Caddy Association, PCAWorldwide.com, uh, or just Google in uh, Caddy Association, PCA, and it should pop up everywhere. And a lot of YouTube stuff and some videos also out there for everybody, no charge. One last question before I get you, let you go. 
I mentioned people that might be playing with a caddy for the first time. And one thing people did ask me when I was doing my research, I really should ask this. What do you tip a caddy? Because I, I couldn't look it up online. And if, if I'm ever playing with a caddy, I want to know that information. Yeah. What do you tip a caddy? Well, yeah, that I varies just, a lot. Dennis probably yeah. has some ideas on it. Um, I've always found it's a good idea to talk to the pro at the club and say, okay, what, what's standard around here? Uh, and they will usually tell you. Um, yeah, that, and that's a good thing. Also, you know, very important, when you're on the tee box, if you're uh, a caddy and you're working with a pro, or I met with a player, it's important to have a, a conversation with this person to see what he wants you to do. Uh, you know, he may not want you reading the greens for him because even though you may know how to, but it, he may just want you to carry the bag. You need to really have that conversation before you start with your player to find out. And if he makes a great shot, do you want you, it's okay to give you a little attaboy? Or if you make a bad shot, you know, it's okay to tap you on the back and say, that's all right, you got the next shot. I mean, so it's real important to have that karma working with the player and stuff. And I thought we do uh, – the Caddy Girls USA is one of our sponsors. They do a great organization. They were actually on Shark Tank and, um, and great other stories they've been on. And she just posted something the other day I thought was interesting. You know, her girls get $100 for a round of golf. They're doing a celebrity tournament this weekend. And she tells the girl on her website that she, they make tips from anywhere from $50 to $500. So that's what the Caddy Girls get. I think they, they, may, uh, they, may, they may do a better job than we do, but... I never got a $500 tip, but anyway, but uh, it's, it's really, a, a depends on the person. Uh, uh, and, and again, too, I think Jim's got the right idea. Discuss it with the caddy master, discuss it with the pro and find out what, what they expect. And, and, um, and it's really up to you at the end of the day. Cause, but I don't think you should, if a guy tries real hard and hustles and just cause he maybe makes some bad decisions, I don't think you should not tip them. I think they, yeah. they do the job. They should be paid. I have a great Donald Trump story that fits right in with this. Trump, as you know, is a pretty good golfer. And uh, one year I was out in Pebble Beach, and uh, I was doing a story. Um, I was in the mid I was researching a story on caddies at resorts and whatnot. So I told Pebble Beach I wanted to hire a caddy to play that day. And Pebble Beach had also read some of my earlier writings about Pebble Beach about how long it takes to play that course usually which is a problem they have out there because if you're paying whatever they're charging for a round of golf you are by god going to make every shot during that round of golf and you're not going to hurry up anyway to make a long story short they assigned me the first tea time of the day it was like my wife and i it was like 6 30 in the morning or something we were the first off the tee whole course open in front of us and because i wanted to hire a caddy i got the senior most caddy who was in the caddy room at the time and we drew a guy named uh, Bobby Lytle Rocket was his nickname and he told us a bunch of great stories and during the uh, the uh, AT&T what we used to call the Crosby clam bake out there um, mm -hmm. he had he had caddied a few times during the tournament but never really for anybody you know any pro that was recognized we didn't have any good stories but one year he did get assigned to Donald Trump's bag and this was back in the mid 80s I think and uh, he he told me some Donald Trump stories, and apparently Trump was a wonderful guy and a nice guy, and he didn't really like hanging out with the rich people at all the parties and stuff, so he would ask Rocket, you know, you know a good place to eat? And Rocket would take him to the cafeteria tent set up for the workers, the marshals and, and everything, where they had a buffet. And he said Trump loved the, the food there and loved talking to the people and stuff like that. But the story came, they were playing Spyglass Hill, and they were on the back nine, and they come to the par three. I think it's 12 or 13. I don't remember the number. And it's about a 170-yard hole downhill. There's pond on the left. And so uh, Trump and, and Rocket get to the tee, and Rocket says, okay, Donald, I think this, is a, this is a six iron. And Donald says, no, I think it's a seven. So they go through one of these five-minute long debates, and no, it's a six iron. No, it's a seven iron. And the, the uh, pro and the group and his caddy were rolling their eyes while this was going on and went on at length. So Rocket finally, he, he had a, a breakthrough moment. He said, okay, Donald, you just published this book, The Art of the Deal, right? And Donald says, yeah. He says, okay, I'll make you a deal, Donald. You hit the club I want on this hole. And if it's the wrong club, you don't have to pay me for the week. <laughs> Don thought about it and said, oh, that's pretty good. So he took the six iron that Rocket had recommended, gets up on the tee, put, you know, makes his 
Donald Trump swing, I'll be damned if the ball doesn't bounce once and go right in the hole, hole in one. And because the story is so great, I actually researched it, looked it up, and went into the Monterey Herald newspaper uh, archives. And it's true. Donald Trump made a hole in one on that hole during the Crosby tournament. So the caddy was right. So they went through the rest of the weekend and, you know, hung out a little bit and everything. Anyway, at the end of the weekend, Donald Trump writes the guy a check for $10,000. That was his tip. Wow. (laughs) I don't think the normal person playing golf has to worry about tipping their caddy $10,000, but most of us aren't Donald Trump. (laughs) But I thought that was a great story. And he he told me this story. He told me this story about 10 or 12 years ago, way before Trump was even thinking about running for president. So uh, you, you can take that as as you will. But I thought that was a great story. Well, I think, Tim, I think you're on something. With, uh, I think the uh, as far as caddies going forward and PCA and our involvement with this group, we'll be announcing it's all about youth caddies. Even though the Professional Caddy Association works primarily over 50 top clubs, including Pebble, Pinehurst, uh, you know, uh, Rich Carlton. Uh, there's a. It's basically the growth of the game is going to be with youth caddies and the scholarship opportunities, and that's what we're focused on going forward. Uh, so we look forward to the opportunity to maybe giving you a lot of insights on the youth caddy movement, and uh, and keep your focused on that because that's really where this industry is taking this uh, starting next year. Well, the game always needs to grow, and there's only one way to grow it through the through kids and through people getting into the game, and that's how you do it. You get them, as you said, you've got to get them to the course somehow, and that's yep. the best way to do it. So, uh, professional. Hey Jim, what, what, do you have a website, Jim? Uh, no, I don't have a website at the moment. Okay. Being a anyway, writer, I can't afford it. I understand. <laughs> You can, anybody can contact PCAWorldwide.com if you're interested in some of Jim's books or what he does, and I'd be glad to have him uh, respond to your email to Dennis at PCAWorldwide.com, or uh, Jim may have an email also. Uh, Bartlett writes at Cox.net. All right. Thank you very much, Tim. I've enjoyed this hour with you. Well, that's our show for this week. Thanks again to Dennis Cohn and Jim Bartlett for coming on the show. Check out Think Like a Caddy, Play Like a Pro from booksellers everywhere, as well as Mastering Golf's Toughest Shots. And as Jim mentioned, he has the Hacker series of golf-based murder mysteries. Go to PCAWorldwide.com and TheCaddyAssociation.com to learn more about caddies and how you can help the world get more Danny Noonans. Thank you very much for joining us. We're available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe on either of those. We're also available on Blog Talk Radio, and thanks to Blog Talk Radio for hosting this podcast. This has been Ground Under Repair. I'm your host, Tim Williams. You can find me on Twitter at Sports. I'll see you next week. Fairways and greens, everybody.